As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene, was good? But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. When I say men dancing, what's the first thing you think about? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Reluctance. Um, I feel like there's a societal expectation that you stay composed um, or that you should be embarrassed in many situations. I don't know why it bums me out, but it does. My name is Julie Douglas, and this is The Stuff of Life. Today, I'm joined by correspondent and How Stuff Works editor Eves Jeffcoat, and we're talking about men dancing. And for the record, Julie, you're a woman mm-hmm. and I'm a woman, yet we're talking about men dancing. Why did we even decide to tackle this topic? Uh, I believe it all started with our male coworkers who we observed mostly head bobbing instead of dancing to music at our company holiday party. Yeah, and that sent us down a rabbit hole of thoughts on what it means for guys to move their bodies to a beat. In this episode, Eves explores what it means to be a man taking on dance and talks with Emory University professor George Stabe. It was just great to do things to music, and it can feel really authentic and natural to do that. And if we can connect to something like, oh, I can relate to this in one way or another, that's when magic happens. And Duke University's professor Thomas DeFrance discusses race, identity, and dance. Black lives are expressed through culture, and especially through music and dance. We love music and dance. We need it. We engage it. And finally, Eves talks to a couple of regular Joes, our co-workers Christopher Hasiatis, Dylan Fagan, and Jonathan Strickland, to find out why they do or don't dance. But there's something subversive about about a bunch of men dancing, right? I mean, as we've we've mentioned a couple times, men dancing. The reason why we're even here talking about this is because the idea of men dancing together in American mainstream culture is noteworthy. Maybe you've seen awkward dads in viral videos trying, sometimes too hard, to do the latest dance craze. Or fraternity members strolling in unison. 
or your brothers and uncles and cousins dancing at family reunions and wedding receptions. But despite how common dancing is and how long humans have been doing it, dancing is emotionally complex. It's a departure from normalcy, the rope movements that get us from A to B. And for men, it can be super problematic. Only two years ago, ABC reportedly nixed the idea of two men dancing together on Dancing with the Stars. And it made entertainment news when two guys shared the floor for the first time on the reality show early last year. Now DeMarco and Kio Matsepe dancing together starts here. And ends there. That's 12 seconds of two guys dancing together, if you weren't counting. So people are uncomfortable with men dancing, especially with each other. Who cares, you might say. Haven't we given enough space to men's grievances? They and all their problems have dominated history after all. But this, men dancing, is a matter of acceptance, of freedom of expression, of equity, of living our personal truths. Ideas we could all get behind. And if you think about it, the actions and characteristics that make up gender can be considered their own performances. So what's it like to be a dancing man in a world that cares so much about upholding the mantle of masculinity? What's it like to swivel your hips and buck the authority of social norms? In a culture that often rejects vulnerability and encourages conformity, a scene as basic as a man dancing can become a psychological labyrinth. And we're going to enter it here. This is 1984-ish when Janet Jackson's Pleasure Principle came out. It was my after-school project every day to memorize that whole video. And my sister and I, if we could drink, we would have chugged champagne after we figured out this one scene where she was in front of a mirror doing all this intricate hand stuff. That's George Stabe, the artistic director for Stabe Dance and a senior lecturer in the dance program at Emory University in Atlanta. This is a chance to switch the weight and go forward. George was born in Tehran, Iran. At age nine, I was with my mother picking up our cousin from a ballet class. And I remember watching it and thinking, oh, that looks fun. I want to do it. And I asked my mother, can I do that? And she said, no, boys, don't do this. Years later, after getting a degree in political science and a stint at Georgetown's law school doing legal research, impressive career choices that would appease his parents, he says. It was an impromptu duet at a freshman frat party that inspired him to take modern and ballet classes. And uh, upon graduation from college, I remember distinctly telling my parents, I did this for you, now grad school and dance is going to be for me. That didn't come without doubts. Feeling embarrassed as the new dance professor in a room full of scientists, his mom telling family members he was a French professor, he went from being a stranger in one strange land to another. But that was okay, because he felt liberated. In those moments when I'm just lost, it could actually feel like, I guess, a drug trip, where you're completely not aware of stuff, or you are aware that I've completely abandoned and let go, and I 
don't have to pull myself back at all. And that's kind of crazy. Imagine a tantrum. Like when you have that tantrum and the breakdown or a laughing fit or a crying fit um, where no one's around to see it in the most pristine, sublime way, that's kind of how I feel or like to go to. You know, it's not necessarily like I want you to see my passion. I want to feel it myself. And if other people notice it, that's great. To him, dance class was a place with many doorways, a place to explore, make mistakes, and try new things. But the line between introspection and performance is fine. You're taking all that emotion and putting it on the world stage in front of judgmental eyes. And even though it doesn't happen all the time or in every culture, George says that sometimes negativity can start to creep into spaces that aren't as accepting. There's only one class left, but it happens to be the coolest one of all. Ballet? Dancing is for girls. Well, you should have gotten here earlier. Okay, steady, Bart. Taking ballet doesn't make you any less of a man. (laughs) That constant reminder that, um, like, oh, you would be thought of as a sissy or this is not a real career or you must be gay or all of these things do creep in and when are you going to get your real job? Because the body, as it twists, bends, twirls, and gyrates, is the focus. Dance can often reinforce or negate perceptions about gender and sexuality. Uh, For men dancing at a party, whether they are married or single, it's a mating ritual in a way and even in greek culture persian culture armenian culture there will often be the men who dance together and then the women dance together and then if they do i mean by gender and if they do connect with different genders it's in a sort of benign circle so i think it's almost like a peacock strutting you know and i think you might even find that in country western line i think that happens there i'm not very familiar with that but i almost think there's like hey watch me do this fancy foot thing <laughs> and <laughs> toss my cowboy hat around i hope i'm not uh, offending anyone but i just don't know that stuff but i think it that's what it is and if you go to clubs It is that either the men are in the background just kind of watching and preying on the women there or they're going to go out there and kind of show off a little bit. And in that respect, it's okay, I think. The moment you put it on stage and put a weird costume on and try to express yourself in a different way other than sexually, then it's a bit naughty, I guess. Or not naughty, but taboo. Sure. Dancing is often visceral, igniting hormones and firing up our most basic desires. But it isn't just a physical act. It's a process of learning and discovery. The body becomes a means of discourse. Movements become questions. Gestures become demands. And interactions become statements. It peels back the layers of assumptions and perspectives that we hold. You know, everybody, the secret of life is, and I don't finish it. So I see sometimes, like, it doesn't go. So, like, you just get a chance to move through Because if you let yourself connect to something abstract, you might find out more about yourself as opposed to being fed a story. Kind of like those Hollywood blockbusters. You might want to go to see one because you don't want to have to think so much. 
But when we're invited to think and explore uncomfortable territory, that's what dance can do. And uh, if you're patient enough and let yourself be in the room for the hour or so that you're watching the thing, that's when it speaks. And not to mention bringing community together, to move together, to share stories through their bodies. It's so valuable. George is a pro. He's trained in the art of dancing, performs in front of crowds, and is a dancer with a capital D. But sometimes the spotlight is on guys who aren't so well skillful. Could you describe your typical dance style? Uh, I do the T-Rex. That's Jonathan Strickland, the host of Forward Thinking. <laughs> that's, that's where you got the little the forearms up and like you got your, your hands kind of curled into fists and you're just sort of bouncing up and down a little bit to the beat. Uh, you're not really doing anything in particular because, again, as I said, awkward. And here's an awkward dance story recounted by Dylan, producer at How Stuff Works. When I was in college, I had a radio show with um, my friend and we had a green screen and decided we were going to make some promotional videos for our radio show and put it on Facebook and didn't know what to do. So we thought, well, why don't we dance? And so we'd dance for like three minutes at a time and then we'd find a song that fit it. We, we would not have a song beforehand. Um, so usually you know, there was one video that was Technotronics Pump Up the Jam that just like lined up perfectly. And so we put that there and I realized halfway through it, I was really feeling it. And I did what I call the spitting dinosaur, <laughs> which is like this. Like, it's more fluid than that. But Dylan's putting his hands behind his ears and waving them around. I, it was from growing up watching Jurassic Park. I was about to say, the Jurassic period was great <laughs> with the, With the, the frilled dinosaur. The frilled dinosaur yeah. that's, that spits poison. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah that, and I thought, hey, look, look, guys, it's the spit. And everyone's <laughs> like, that. I, I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, if it works for you, go with it. Yeah. I remembered from my high school days, from my college days, where dancing, engaging in that activity was, unless you were amazing, it, it was just considered something that was lame or stupid, or, or you felt lame or stupid for wanting to do it. But uh, there's something subversive about, about a bunch of men dancing, right? That's Christopher, editor at How Stuff Works. As we've we've mentioned a couple times, men dancing. The reason why we're even here talking about this is because the idea of men dancing together in American mainstream culture is noteworthy. Mm-hmm. Is not necessarily the the standard mode of operating. So, if you're already in a culture where you feel kind of set aside, whether it's nerd culture, gay culture, nerdy gay culture, yeah. Uh, the act of dancing is you're embracing the fact that you're sort of accepting your status as an outsider and saying, you know what, let's celebrate this. Let's, let's, yeah, we'll be outsiders. That uncomfortable territory, those moments of surprise, are a border, something Thomas de France calls slippage. It's the place where things don't quite work. It's the, if we think of it as a physical space, it's the spot on the ground where a literal slip happens. And it's also the remains of that slipping. When you slip, there's a slippage that's left behind. So I love this word because it's a, it's a noun, but it's also an adjective and, and something of an adverb. It has all of these different valences. And it implies this, this kind of um, place where things don't quite add up. Something doesn't quite jive the way you think it's going to. 
He's a professor of African and African-American studies and dance at Duke University. Queerness and dance to DeFrance is that slippery, unpredictable, and sometimes unsettling place between what we assume about gender and dance and how certain dances buck those notions. You know, your little niece who you'd never seen really move suddenly bust, bust the dance out at a birthday party with all this fierce power and energy, and maybe she slides to the floor in a vogue death drop. Like, there's something queer about that moment because it surprises us. And that's what I mean by queer when I use it in terms of queer gesture. It's the physical movement that suggests something really unexpected, flamboyant probably, and also unusual and non-normative. We need queer gestures in our lives because they remind us that there's, there's more to learn, there's more to do, there's um, explorations to have among each other and with ourselves, that we're not stuck in our jobs and stuck in our kind of everydayness, that we have the capacity to express and explore corporeal orature, your body telling a story, and that's what that phrase means, telling a story with your body without words, but through gesture, and doing it in a queer way, in a way that surprises the people who are receiving the story or witnessing your dance. Queer corporeal gesture is a way to narrate our possibility. It's a way to perform how we can surprise ourselves and keep learning things. Think of it as a sort of resistance or subversion of norms. But it's more than just a statement. It's surviving through expression. I think that concept is really important when we're thinking in any way about African-American expressive, expressive arts and Black life in the United States. There's a way that how our lives are organized and circumscribed, things almost work, but they don't quite. And this is why I think we have this amazing social justice movement right now because we're still trying to deal with the legacies of the past that have created this um, circumstance where it's very hard for Black Americans to kind of find ourselves and find our way forward, and especially for our youngest, our youngest family members, um, are always having a hard time figuring out how to be a Black person in the context of the U.S. For Black men in America, he says, a lot of dance is simply about navigating how to exist. And there's science to back that up. Some research says that because there's evidence of humans dancing in cave paintings from 13,000 years ago, it has a genetic basis. That dance likely popped up around the time Homo sapiens did and is linked to good social communication, a handy quality to have when your survival depends on bonding and community support. Black Americans have also ha always had to monitor our physicality. We turn that into dance, and we've always turned that into dance. In the 1920s, we called it eccentric dance. And now in the 2010s, there's a form of, of movement called bone breaking. And this is a, a physicalization of a kind of shifting body, a body that can do unusual things. So we're turning that need to corral our physicality in order to survive in a relatively hostile environment, hostile daily environment. And we turn that into expression and turn it into dance. And that's what we see in bone breaking. We see this, this kind of physicalization of how to be shifty and, and, and odd with the body to suggest something really unusual and, and expressively creative. No, he's not talking about actual bone breaking. It's a social dance, which is one that involves group participation that has roots in b-boying and dance battles. 
Dancers contort their limbs into apparently impossible and painful poses, dislocating their shoulders and realigning their arms, pushing the limits of their bodies and creativity. In this case, pain depicted is pain internalized. And that coping through movement isn't just limited to dance floors or social dance. It can extend into other realms of expression, like protesters who raise their hands in an outcry against Michael Brown's shooting, or celebratory end zone dances on the football field. We have a penalty marker on the field. Here's John Perry. Unsportsmanlike conduct, excessive celebration number 22. That penalty will be enforced on the kickoff. DeFrance calls this the policing of black culture. Or imagine the opposing postures of President Donald Trump and former President Barack Obama when they met in the Oval Office. Legs spread, lips taut, back stiff, eyebrows furrowed. Our bodies often betray our thoughts, even when we don't say, let alone understand them. But dance isn't passive. It's a deliberate channeling of emotion that takes courage and audacity, a willingness to be outside of the everyday experience, as DeFrance puts it. An impulse to dance is a desire to speak with a primal, essential language. And it's not easy to be bare, stripped to our essence, when our identities are exposed. One of the great things about Black social dance is that it always challenges the space for gender normativity. It always does. So even if we have Chicago stepping, which is built upon two roles, a leader and a follower, well, in Black social dance, that follower role does an awful lot of leading, too. So we can call these roles masculine and feminine, or the male role or female role, but in practice, that's not really how they play out. There's always going to be places where um, the female role or the feminine space is leading the interaction, and there's going to be places where the woman, if you will, is shining, and she's going to do something really extraordinary and amazing. So this is one of the reasons we love social dance so much. It, gets us, it gives us a chance to explore alternative ways of being, to explore, if we're you know, really powerful men, to explore our feminine sort of abilities, and for women to explore their power, if those are part of what masculine and feminine um, contain. So black social dances are always kind of getting at that space where it's not one or the other, but it's a both and. Of course, defying tradition doesn't come without backlash. Take Elvis a performer who was controversial for different reasons in different circles. I had no idea this performance of Hamburg was going to cause such a row. The critics jumped all over me for it. <laughs> I still can't figure out what got him so riled. To his fans, he was a rebellious, pioneering sex symbol. To his detractors, his dancing was inappropriate or even animalistic. And to many black people, Elvis the pelvis was yet another symbol of appropriation acclaimed for moves he seemingly lifted from Black artists like Jackie Wilson. The problem wasn't the imitation, per se. The problem was Elvis getting cultural credit for elevating a sexualized performance style that Black artists had already been doing and were shamed or simply unrecognized for. Historian Eric Lott says in the book Love and Theft, quote, What appears, in fact, to have been appropriated were certain kinds of masculinity. To put on the cultural forms of Blackness, was to engage in a complex affair of manly mimicry. 
The Elvis debate goes deeper, as he's perhaps one of the most contentious figures of so-called edginess or unorthodoxy in performance. But there's another huge factor that causes people to get riled up when dance questions norms. The way that normativity or gender normalcy is about being afraid. Being afraid of the unknown or the unexpected. I mean, the only reason to be afraid of something is because you're not sure what it will mean for you in some, in some weird way. Although that happens a lot less in social dance, he points out. When we're at a party, for example, the excitement of the moment of dance is most important. Think of popular dances you may have seen go viral. Nene, Quan, etc. Flamboyance doesn't get much flack. It's often celebrated. And for Black folks especially, DeFrance says, dancing is like air and water. It's always been a part of life. We dance at the high school reunion. We dance at the graduation party. We dance at the birth. We dance at the coming home. We dance, you know, dance is important to us. We dance in church. Um, we even have movement things that we execute in, in times of mourning. There's a way that music and movement are important to our practices of mourning as well. So for us, dance is everywhere. He mentions the Nicholas brothers, who jumped, twisted, and tap danced their way into people's hearts from the stage and screen in the early 1900s. And he talks about the high-energy, dramatic street dance styles crumping and clowning, which grew out of the desire for an alternative to gangs and violence and for an outlet for aggression during the aftermath of Rodney King's beating in Los Angeles in 1991. If I hadn't started crumping, I would be in jail for sure, or I would have got caught up in something that would have me killed very early in my life. Because I was around uh, drama and violence, but dancing always kept me away just at the nick of time. From ritualistic and ceremonial dance, like the hula, to line dancing to country-western music, dance holds a mirror to the social climate. As a sign of the times, dance can be as important to cultural documentation as records of war, policy, and technology. It's an uninhibited declaration of self, showing us as we are for who we are in every fleeting moment. As father of modern American dance Ted Shine, who performed with an all-male dance company throughout the U.S. in the 30s and 40s, put it, You see a painter can paint something and it goes on a wall, or a sculptor makes something and it stays there. But this is the most ephemeral art. You see, you do it, and it's born and dies in the very second you're doing it. We engage it, we let it be unusual, we let it be weird, we let it be queer and we learn from it. We need society. Yet, so many of us feel left out and yearn to be understood and recognized. When you're struggling to be seen, especially when you're part of a marginalized group, asserting your existence through dance can be cathartic powerful and pleasurable. And for anybody, dance can be a means of release that they often don't get to or want to say with words for fear of being embarrassed, moralized, dismissed, or simply ignored. It gives men a chance to be genuine, creative, and present. And what more do we need now than open and honest communication? 
maybe try dancing sometime. I, I, and there's something about when you finally get out there and everyone around you is encouraging you that really, um, it's one of the best feelings. It's just like, yeah, like when you get that head nod, like, yeah, yeah, I like that. Like, look what you're doing. And yeah. You're like, yeah, I like what you're doing too. And you don't have to dance with anybody. You can just dance by yourself. Yeah. You know, if you're a guy and you're not sure if you like to dance, go into a, go into your bedroom, close the door, put on Hot Pants by James Brown, the <laughs> the song and or the article of clothing and, <laughs> and and see if you you know and and just try dancing a little bit and move to the beat and if you dig it keep doing it and if you feel like you want to test it out go to an go to a, another town where there's a dance club and go dance there and see what happens or go crash a wedding where you don't know anyone and try that and uh yeah do not actually take that advice yes. <laughs> Eve's Jeffcoat, who wrote and produced this episode. You can find more of her work on evesjeffcoat.com. Thank you to Thomas DeFrance and George Stabe for the political and personal breakdown of dance. And thank you to Dylan Fagan, Christopher Hasiadis, and Jonathan Strickland for bearing your dancing souls. The Stuff of Life is written and executive produced by me, Julie Douglas, and co-produced by Noel Brown. Original music is by Noel Brown, and editorial oversight is provided by contributing producer Dylan Fagan and head of production Jerry Rowland. This episode also featured music by Tristan McNeil, Aaron Grubbs, and Dylan Fagan. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, you can call into our podcast line at 1-844-HSW-STUFF. We'll be doing a wrap-up episode at the end of the season, and we want to hear your voice in it, so leave us a message. You can also find The Stuff of Life on Facebook and Twitter, and you can email us at thestuffoflife at howstuffworks.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was wounded! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, 
and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there.